grief is the loss of anything that's meaningful to you. Grief is not something you fix. It's something you honor. And I say honor the journey just to preemptively let you know that this isn't something that ends. You know, as long as you're alive, you're making a daily relationship with who and what you've lost. You know, as long as you are, it is. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelly Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. This is a Soulfire production. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. Ooh, I'm particularly excited to be with you here today because there's something on my heart in this month that feels really important to explore together. And it's the reason why here in September, which is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, in case you weren't aware, that I'm asking my good friend Addison Brazil to come back and talk to us. And said a different way, he is back by popular demand. Addison's, the first episode we dropped was in February of 2021. And I got so many incredible notes and so much feedback because Addison is really vulnerable in telling his story about being to the left of death three times and talking about his own grief journey and what's led him to become the mental health advocate that he is today. And so if you want the deep, deep background of where he was and what that journey looked like, please go back and listen to that episode. In this episode, the beauty of bringing him back six plus months later is this beautiful evolution of who he's becoming on this journey as an author. He talks in real time about the book that he's writing in this moment. As a chief resilience officer, this role in life that he's growing into and realizing there's a crucial need for, and as the co-founder of Tether, which now is a 10,000 men strong community. It's both an app and a community um, focused on mental health for men. And what I love is that this is not a conversation for men alone. We, yes, we talk about Tether, but what Addison brings to the table is clarity on his mission. He's shifting from awareness into action. So as mental health is truly becoming a crisis in this world and as a result of this pandemic and the way that we approach our work and so many other things, he's helping us shift into action and to better understand what grief is and how we honor the journey of it and really practical tips on daily emotional fitness 
what we can all be doing to advocate for our own mental health and to support those around us, those that we love. And we dive into all of this. He talks a lot about what his grief toolkit is, what that looks like, what are those tools? How can we start to build some of those same muscles? And I'll give you a little hint. He talks about grief being the loss of anything meaningful. We have all been going through this cycle since the pandemic, even before the pandemic. It isn't only losing someone you love. It's the loss of anything meaningful. And that is happening to us day after day, hour after hour. And Addison reframes how we can look at this in our lives and let go and grab tools when we need them and be in it and be in it together. I am going to warn you. So trigger warning, we do talk about suicide. I really want to honor my own journey, Addison's journey, the loss of his father to suicide. So if that's a trigger for you, be warned. And if that's going to put you in a state then please, this might not be the right episode for you to listen to. Be gentle, protect you, protect your own mental health. And I really hope you get something out of this. And please pay it forward by sharing this episode with someone who you love, someone who may need this in this moment. I love you all. Enjoy. Addison, you know, I have been looking forward to part two because I remember when you and I were recording, I think our episode dropped in February of this year. And we had the longest conversation on record, the juiciest conversation on record. And still, we knew we were being called to record a part two. And here we are. Welcome back. We are. Thank you. And, and I will say as sort of a warning to everybody that you have to go back and listen to that episode. And the reason it was so long is because you are such a safe space. So um, I'm going into this excited and um, fearful for what you'll pull out of me. Um, I know. I, I, I think you're one of many people who have said it felt like a therapy session. And I'm like, mm-hmm. thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) The truth. I mean, it resonates clearly because we've heard so much back from that conversation and and I just fell into the truth with you. So I love it. Well, and that is, this is a safe and brave space. All the rebel souls who are with us right now listening, know that I want to honor that. I know you're big on honoring the journey and we're going to talk about that. And I cannot emphasize enough to anybody who's listening to this, if you haven't listened to our first conversation, it's not a prerequisite to this, but it will give you a lot of the juicy background that we're not going to have the time to go deep into. And the reason I wanted to have Addison back is because your work, Addison, has evolved so much since I met you. You and I met at Modern Elder Academy last November. We get to have a reunion Mm. with our people at Modern Elder Academy in Baja in this November. So we're coming up. I think we're at the, what, two-month countdown, right? Yeah, actually. Almost exactly. Yeah. Yeah, almost exactly. And even less when this is going to drop. And it's really important 
that you and I are having this conversation right now. And we are recording not long before this is going to drop. And there's a reason for that. The reason is we are sitting here. We are both mental health advocates who have our stories to tell. We'll give a little flavor of yours. But again, anybody can go back and listen to the first episode. And we are sitting here in September of 2021. And it is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And there's no more important conversation to be having every day of the year, let alone right now. And this has become your work and your mission in the world. I want to celebrate that. I want to honor that. And I want you and I to dive into what does it mean to take an active role from awareness into action? Because I know that's where you're going. So can I set this up by saying we don't have to go into the whole story, but I've heard you say recently a few times when you describe your story, you're sa- you've said, I've been to the left of death mm. three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. What, yeah. And, and what, what does that mean in brief? And how has it led you to where you are right now? Yeah. Um, so... Where that came from is I've actually been working on my first book, as you know, and kind of going back and when you listen to the first episode, it's it's kind of a mess of a story of just like everything that I went through. And, and the brief of that is if you actually look from an outside perspective into the experiences I've had, I actually was just to the left of death three times. Uh, when my brother died of cancer, I was just to the left of him as he took his last breath. Um, I was the one who found my father after his suicide a few years later, found myself just to the left of that um, as you're looking in on that situation. And I'm waiting for the authorities to arrive. And we we really dove into that in the last conversation, as we said. And then again, I found myself on the left side of a car, which was the difference between life and death for a dear friend of mine. Um, So in, in that, I've I've become, you know, people joke like this. I have a master's of grief resilience or something mm. like, you know, how people do good enough in the arts and they give them like an honorary PhD. So maybe mine's coming, but these three processes of really ushering other people off their time on earth, you know, being there for those final moments, being just to the left of that has really created a lot of space for me to investigate what that really is and how I show back up. And, you know, aside from honoring my own grief process, which I'm sure we'll dig into, you know, where, where do I really show up? Because the reality is I wasn't the one who passed, you know, and, and how do you show up when you've been there? And, and I guess what makes me an expert on grief, unfortunately, at this point is that these, these three deaths were so complex and traumatic in different ways and so comparative that I've really navigated through these these three sort of overlapping grief processes over the course of the last 13 years. Um, so yeah, that's that's where that comes from. That you know, I, I literally was, and then just I feel like my experience, especially through my 20s, I'm 32 now, but through my 20s was literally, you know, just taking that step to the left from both death and life as I figured out what the hell happened. Um, Yeah. Well, in allowing yourself to be in it, 
I mean, this is one of the things that I love being a close friend of yours now, being able to witness you on this journey, having had many deep conversations, some recorded, many not. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully more will be in the in the future. I love when you talk about honoring the journey, because I know from my own experiences with grief, from family members who I have in this moment who are have been grieving for four years, mm-hmm. losing, you know, my mom losing what she knew of her husband, even though he's my dad is still alive, losing the relationship ha- they had, losing the retirement they had expected, losing the life they used to live and the travel they used to do. And what strikes me, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about this, is when you say honor the journey, it's encouraging us to, you know, name it and be in it Mm -hmm. and maybe even more importantly, move through it. Absolutely. And I just, can you talk a little bit about what, what does that mean for you and what has that grief process and journey of moving through it looked like? Yeah. And I'm, that's, you know, all I've been thinking about as I've been writing right now. Um, but yeah, yeah and pepper I mean, in some yummy stuff from your yeah, book no, in I progress, mean, please. <laughs> when it comes to that, I mean, that's really what I've been looking at. And, and the, the really cool through line here is that life does always go on. So you have to make that commitment and you have to not only become aware of it, but like we were saying, take action around that. Now, honoring the journey, when I say that, what I tend to mean is actually accepting and working through whatever comes up, not what we've designed to come up or hope to come up or plan to come up or perfected coming up, um, but what actually does. And, you know, it started in a, a very, very immature place, really, when I wanted people to honor the journey because people constantly were telling me I shouldn't laugh at funerals or, you know, I have this gallows humor, you know, I have this dark sense of humor and humor is one of my greatest tools in my grief toolkit. And I was very protective about it because I knew its power for me and I knew what it was and wasn't protecting me from and, and, you know, how close I could come to dealing with things with humor, but, but really honoring the journey, the best part about it is there's nothing to do. It's just being, like you said, it's just about being, you know, and, and sorting out how you can be in the moment and honor whatever is coming up in the process. And the thing about grief is, is we kind of all have this like weird understanding and it's, it's kind of like in the back of our minds. And as I talk to people, I'm like, it's kind of weird that the one thing we're guaranteed to do in life that we don't know more about, like maybe, maybe this is for the syllabus in high school. Uh, You know, I, I learned other things that I certainly don't use, but you know, I never realized like other than kind of algebra, (laughs) (laughs) the calculus of death would have been much more appropriate for my experience. Yeah. Um, you know, and those those formulas also don't have roots or fake numbers or whatever it was that we got into. But but yeah, no, when when I look at, you know, how everyone approaches grief, it's you have this kind of this idea of these five stages of grief. If you're a little bit more read up, you know, there's this six stage of grief from Kubler-Ross to Kessler, who who have done a lot of work on grief and and that comes into meaning. But a lot of what I've noticed in the last year has been so, so eye-opening and ear-opening for me and heart-opening for me, because a lot of what I notice is that people don't realize that it's secular and the stages, you don't work through the Mm. stages and you're done. It's something that's a daily process. And that's where the, the journey part comes in. 
Grief is not something you fix. It's something you honor. And I say honor the journey just to preemptively let you know that this isn't something that ends. You know, as long as you're alive, you're making a daily relationship with who and what you've lost. And that's my other point too about grief is, you know, when I'm sitting here talking to people over the last year, they're losing their jobs, their quality of life has changed drastically. They're in isolation and they cannot but I get this weird swirl. We'll talk about the swirl later. I, even as I bring it up, I get that feeling of how do I feel hopeless, but hopeful, but you know, like it's, it's all yeah. the things mixed in one. And, and so many times this year, I've looked at like dear, dear friends and gone, oh, I think this is like my moment to say like, you're grieving. Like this is grief. I mean, this is textbook grief, but then on top of it, you're just not feeling entitled to acknowledging it because you are not experiencing a physical death. But grief is the loss of anything that's meaningful to you and anything that you really planned on happening that didn't or that you've had and lost. It can be a job. Obviously, it can be a pet. It can be a human. You know, it can be so many things, but it can really be the loss of anything that's meaningful to you. And, you know, as we spoke about um, on my podcast with Mandy, who I know you're close friends with, you know, if you're a perfectionist, you know, you can be grieving every morning by 10 a.m. if you've set up how you know things are going to go in a world where that's not something we can call. If you're white knuckling your plan for life, right? Exactly. And I was that guy, you know, for sure. And, you know, the first I tried to keep that control in my grief process with my brother. And then after my father passed, you know, it was like a lot harder with the PTSD and everything that I was going through, like we talked about last time. And by the time the accident rolls around, the one thing I know that I have to accept is I cannot call this game. I'm in the game. I can't call the game. And I really, you know, admit, I really thought I could. I really did. I really thought I could call the game. I thought I had control. I thought I could perfect this experience called life and it could go my way. And I, I rightfully would get very upset and very emotional when it didn't. I think a lot of us experience that. And, and I love that you brought the pandemic into this as well. So another incredibly relevant reason and poignant reason why we're having this conversation right now, because we're sort of unsteadily trying to come out of this global pandemic. And the last 18 months didn't work out in a way anybody thought their lives were going to go. And you're redefining or maybe simply reminding us that grief isn't simply, not simply, isn't only the loss of a loved one, you know, a human being that lived deep in our hearts. Grief is the loss of anything meaningful, anything that we were hoping for, wed to, holding on to. So in essence, all of us have been and likely are still going through that cycle of grief, as you talked about. So so what do we do? I mean, you talked about, I love that so much of your work now is like, okay, We've done a lot of talking about this. Now I want to help us act on this. So Mm -hmm. you said something earlier about your grief toolkit and how humor is one thing. You know, I mean, this is one of the many reasons that you and I connect so deeply, Mm -hmm. right? Because humor is also my thing. It's a blessing and a curse because humor can also be my armor. Humor can also be 
a, you know, just a, a beautiful coping mechanism for me to move through grief and other painful emotion. What else is in your grief toolkit that we can be using in this moment of our lives? I think, gosh, it's such a good question. And, and my, you know, my, my grief toolkit, admittedly, and, and maybe that's the process of writing this book is cleaning it up a little bit, but it looks a lot like my toolkit that's in my garage in Calabasas. I mean, it's just like everything's thrown in there. And when you really need something, at least I know what to go for now. You know, I'm not looking, not looking at the problem yeah. and not knowing what tool would go with this, but, but they all really are in there. And I think one thing that I would rebel for uh, right now when it comes to grief is, you know, whatever tool in your toolkit looks like acceptance and having a little moment with yourself, um, conversations where you can lovingly let yourself know that you are in a grief process, that you are going to start to use the tools in your toolkit. Um, you know, we all remember, maybe we all don't, I should speak for myself, but I remember <laughs> adults taking a lot of time, energy, and careful thought into letting me know a certain someone doesn't really deliver presents to the world um, on a certain evening. You know, I'm still so like nostalgic. I don't want to ruin it. I'm scared to say, even though my book title was going to be Santa Claus isn't real kids. And that's not all. Cause that's like, that's really where I come to oh it. Oh my from. God. That's brilliant. That's I love the secret that. one that everyone knows. That's like, you know, the manifesto part is like, well, they sat us down to talk about the bunny that brought chocolates and the fairy that with the teeth. And, but they didn't sit down and say, Hey, look, whenever you lose something, a grief process is going to start and you're naturally going to want to go back and you're going to fall into the trap of going back. I hear so many people say post pandemic, things will be like they were. I can't wait to get back to life post pandemic. And it's, it's sort of, you know, within the sentence, it doesn't even make sense, you know, but it's it being able to sit with yourself for a moment. Hey, I know this isn't what you want to hear. And I'm here for you. As weird as it feels, you know, at first, it's really nice to be friends with yourself. I've learned, uh, you know, and say, hey, we're not going back. We are certainly going to come through. We are. We're going to acknowledge and honor all of this. But there's no going back. There's mm. no going back. And that's that's one of the benefits of you know, going through my own toolkit for years and years and years and the swirl of emotions that comes from it, trying to go back. You know, it's like it happens in the anger phase. It happens in your bargaining. It happens where you're trying to find the tool that makes them come back. You know, and I've probably joked about with you before. I don't know if it was on air or off, but like it's the same rules as the genie from Aladdin. You know, you can't make people fall in love with you with the toolkit. You cannot bring people back from the dead. You just can't. Yeah. You know, and we can't magically something. create the lives that we had before March of 2020. No, Period. absolutely not. Right. And it, it strikes me that it's like, we can't go back. And do you also talk about like, I say in the book, life is for living, not for hacking. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it strikes me that part of going through this grief cycle and honoring the journey is that there is no spiritual bypass for this thing. No, there's, there's absolutely no bypass, but I did, you know, I started listening to actually Corey Mascara, who I absolutely love. I started listening to his, his audio book recently. And one of the things he said was, you know, basically the most radical catalyst though, for that is embracing yourself where you actually are and who you mm. actually are. That's the most radical. And I'm paraphrasing there, but that, 
but that is something we can do. But yeah, there's, there's, trust me, I have tried, I have made deals with, with whatever's above. I have, you know, done everything I've run. I've stayed, I've started charities. I've, you know, paid into the karma bank. I've done everything you can possibly do to figure out if there's some weird trap door fourth dimension where I get my brother back, you know, or I get my father back, or I take back, you know, us even being there that night when the accident happened, you know, I I've tried everyone. And so I think where we're getting to with this is just that, that acknowledgement piece that there is a toolkit and that you're going to have to use it again and again, as you live in something, you know, it's like, you're not going to fix a door hinge once you're not going to yeah. read, you know, those that have when a screw comes loose every few months and you have to go find that the really little Phillips head and you're like, yes. you know, on your glasses or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's, it's finding some peace around that this is going to be a daily process that I am going to use all of these tools more than once. And I'm probably not going to fix anything, but mm-hmm. I am going to adjust and honor and live by having them. And I think that's the cool part is what does your awareness tool look like? What is your, you know, silence? I talk about when, when someone, when someone passes, I I, become too much of a fan of saying this sentence, but when someone passes, you know, all I picture is like the casseroles and the condolences. And then like, you know, it's just like the frozen lasagna and I'm so sorry for your loss, the frozen lasagna and the so sorry for loss. And I had a tangible physical death that I was grieving. So the community came around to do that. Like we said, with what we're in right now, we're not necessarily doing that, but whatever your version of condolences and casseroles, meaning things that are meant to comfort you because no one knows how to support you truly are arriving. You know, when those things stop arriving, you know, there's going to be this silence. There's going to be this moment where you realize you are grieving, whether you like it or not. And I missed that moment. I missed that. And I immediately did anything possible to not live in that silence to not, you know, show up to that mm-hmm. silence and, and what it really meant for me. And, you know, there's, there's so many ways in secular fashions that, that running from that silence, from sitting in it too long, whatever it was, you know, caused so much of my learning and destruction and hopefully will become a radically helpful guide for others now, you know, as far as grief comes. But, but what does your silence tool look like? What, what is that when you're afraid of the silence, when you're ready for the silence, you know, so your this toolkit can be as big as you need it to be, but like, you know, so my silence tool, it, you know, as you know, sunset grounding with ocean, you know, there, there's things, this is already so uncomfortable to breathe and to process and to be in secular waves of things. You don't know if you're angry, if you're depressed about it, or if you're, you know, what, how you're going to feel about it on a certain day. So, you know, what does my silence tool look like for some people? That's going to be a meditation app for some people that's going to, you know, so where's that tool for me? Um, You know, another thing I talk about a lot when it comes to grief is the swirl. And these are like my S's of grief and they're not formalized, but like, I'm, I'm just playing with them as I kind of go through my experience, you know? Yeah. We're in the lab right now. You know, you're like, I might be giving away IP. I don't know. Not tether IP, but my own. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the idea that, you know, this swirl, I, I wrote this Facebook post years ago when I, everybody, like it was around an anniversary of my father's death. And I was just trying to be radically honest and explain what I was going through. And and I tried to explain it all. And it was like, and that's just it. It's the swirl of things. 
I feel so angry and so loving. I feel so grief stricken and so grateful. Like we were talking about before we started the call, my quality of challenge is better than it's been in 10 years. And yet there are days where I see something that my brother loved and it's like, Ooh, okay. The undercurrent of the swirl is anger. It's protectiveness. It's, you know, and it's, it's all there. And I'm, you know, and I'm living, I'm living in that swirl constantly. And it, it was in like spending 10 years trying to avoid the silence and the swirl or get away from it. Or like we keep saying, fix it, that I got lost. You know, I got lost in not accepting my swirl as my own and that it always changes, you know? And so, so what's my go-to tool now when I'm feeling the swirl? Because you know, like we at Tether, you know, we've, we've gone on and we'll get into this, but like to build emotional fitness tools because we need actionable tools that we can use. And so, so yes. Yeah, so sometimes when I'm feeling a very specific way, I can check in with myself, I can acknowledge it and I can take action based on that. But within a grief process, the swirl exists. And I found myself so many times saying, I don't know how to explain to you how I feel. So I started calling it the swirl. I don't want to go, but I do want to go. I, you know, it's, it's everything and nothing. And it's, it's my whole rest of my life up against me, but also my past meeting in the middle. And it's like, it's this wild experience of, of what I can get the closest to is everything that grief brings and everyone, everything that immense gratitude brings for still being alive kind of meeting in the middle, like a tropical storm inside of you, or like the easiest, you know, is the ice cream swirl that we used to get, like, you know, but it's, it's perfectly swirled together. And that's, that's my experience. So when we get to finally honoring, that looks a lot more like taking care of the swirl and showing up to it and being re- response able to the swirl. And when we're not kind to the swirl, realizing that we have to pay back into the swirl, you know, there's no skipping it. There's no hacking it. There's no retreat. There's no flash sale. There's no, all of these things make living alongside the grief swirl more manageable. You know, they give you more tools. You're adding to the tool quit kit, but but there's no, I was trying to jump to say quit. There's no quitting grief. There's no, right. you know, as long as you are, it is, you know. Well, and I've heard you say, and I think this is related to how you, one of the ways that you manage the swirl, and it feels very practical for me in my life. So I'm guessing for, you know, everyone in this community, I've heard you say, my grief is my gratitude and my gratitude is my grief. What do you mean by that? And like, how is, is is that, am I right in understanding that that is a tool that you use to get yourself Mm. in that place and at least manage through the swirl when it probably feels violent at times? Yeah. And I think it's another, it's going to be another one of those S's where it's like the shame of celebrating, you know, the shame of celebrating that you're still alive or life. And this is something that I worked through with my mentor, Jen Merrifield, you know, extensively, I could not find any way of seeing, having any positive outlook about losing who I lost. I just didn't want to play that game. I didn't want to live in a world where I would say, you know, if my brother hadn't passed, then blank, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you've heard this say before. It definitely will be in the book. But every time somebody says to me, everything happens for a reason, I like cringe and I go, no, Addison, but you can still be the reason everything happens. 
like like just you know oh my god can you say that again (laughs) i have i have head to toe goosebumps i have never heard it reframed that way please say that again that's so powerful yeah whenever somebody says you know everything happens for a reason i always remind myself that i don't agree with that but i still can be the reason everything happens Mm. and that's just sort of my quick like and it's almost like a best friend you know putting like you know, that's, that's a trigger point for him. And they're in the, you're in the bar and they're like, Hey, you know, like, don't go there with this person. But it's like, you know, especially when you've lost someone traumatically and tragically, it's, that's a very hard working reframe with therapy and coaching and, you know, all the emotional fitness tools possible to get to a point where I was trying to get, where I can try to explain this, where, where my gratitude became my grief and my grief became my gratitude. Um, that that's, it's such a personal journey to get to that place. But I would just say to anybody that your grief isn't going anywhere. Like we keep saying, so step into the gratitude when it shows up, because it's also not there all the time. So like when it does go for a slow dance and then, you know, get home early, whatever it is, like your, your father, the grief with your curfew will be there. Like your grief will not leave you. Um, you know, there's always going to be something new. There's always going to be something to navigate there. So I, I with a lot of help, like I said, from, from my mentor, like so much help is what I started to do was actually start to look at, okay, in a world where I can change nothing, absolutely nothing. We're not playing that game today. Um, you know, in a world where I can change absolutely nothing, how did I benefit from this experience? Just me. It doesn't mean it's good that anyone died. It doesn't mean it's good that I lost something meaningful to me because I also have all the micro grief process that we've talked about too in my mm-hmm. 20s, of course. I mean, I've, I've broken up with people. I've been broken up with. I've had my heart broken. You know, it's like lost yeah. jobs. You've also been jobs. through the pandemic with right. all the rest of us. Entertainment right. industry, all of the things, you know, constantly putting myself up there and going, you know, okay. So I've, you know, experienced all these types of grief, but um yeah, I, I think that that's been like the one key for me is to to very gently play that game. And of course, out of those experiences, you know, for instance, with my brother passing of a brain tumor, not only is there now a nonprofit organization that runs in his memory, because that's what I felt compelled to do and took action. And even though 10 years later, sometimes I categorize that as avoiding my grief process, <laughs> but overachieving for the others that needed help, yeah. you know, there, you know, it, and that's the thing is we're constantly learning. And that's why I love my co-founder, Matt, who co-founded Tether with me, you know, his bio on Tether is opinion subject to change. And thank <laughs> God, love that. right? Like, I mean, yes, like anything can happen every day. I hope that I'm a radically different person after speaking to you for an hour and a half after making yeah. this investment. Right. But we're, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's scary right now too, to be held to, you know, in the same ways that cancel culture will hold someone to a tweet right now from 13 years ago. I don't want to be held to where I was in my complex, difficult, fucking impossible grief process three, 13 years ago. Did I do anything legal? No. Did I hurt people unintentionally? Of course, in trying to survive, of course, you know, so it's like, we have that, we have this cancel culture within ourselves. And that's kind of becoming a recurring theme as, as, as I look at all of this is, is every time I've tried to blame or push or point when it comes to something in my grief process, maybe somebody who made it feel harder for me at the time, you know, 
whatever I'm bestowing on that person or that experience, if it's possible for them, it becomes possible for me. So if that person is unlovable, I'm unlovable. If that person is capable of evil, I'm capable of evil. You know, if that person just really, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And, and at first it's not a fun game to play because it's easy to grab our pitchforks and be like, no, my life's uh. hard enough and this is making it worse, you know? But then, like I said, it becomes this like opening because you realize like how much of what you're putting on other people is what you put on yourself every day. So it's like, why do I feel that that makes someone a bad person? Because if I believe that there's condition that would make me a bad person, you know, and yeah. that's a lot to live or I with. don't want to see that in myself, right? It's sometimes Absolutely. hard yeah. to see these things that, in that ourselves. That can't or... be possible. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to live in a world where that's possible. And that's just what traumatic grief is. Knocking on your door going, well, it's all possible. And it's here, you know, and that doesn't mean something traumatic is going to happen to everybody. And I hope not, you know, but the idea of grief goes into that of how we build ourselves up and how we use these tools and, and just who we are and just being willing to grieve a version of ourselves that existed maybe a week ago, maybe a day ago. There are things going on in the world right now that constantly, thankfully, radically shift my perspective. I yes. am learning so much. Yes, I am white. I, I grew up privileged, educated. You know, I had all this going for me. And yet people say, you're the unluckiest person I've ever met, which is the other thing people say to me that I like, <laughs> you know. What is your response I, I so, to that? That's, that's really where, with a different lens, you can go, well, if you really look at those movie moments, like we started the conversation, I'm actually just to the left of the worst thing that you think could ever happen. And there's two ways I go from there in my own. I don't take the time to explain this to everyone, but what I always try to do in the trap of sometimes getting into discussing trauma on podcasts or interviews or whatever is, you know, we go there, we go down there and I always try to break it up and pattern interrupt and say, you have to understand though that the antithesis of that grief process was how much I loved being alive, how much yeah. I loved laughing, how much I loved connecting with people, how many people in this world care so deeply about me and I care so deeply about, like, that is my wealth, that is my health. And, and it, it, like we keep saying, it doesn't make any sense, but I, will, I am the most grateful person you will meet. And it's in that space that just to the left that that, that had to be the learning. You know, I'm, there were two brothers. One died of cancer at 17, and one goes on to get the Extraordinary, art, extraordinary Artist visa, dances on scholarship. I go, everything I've ever tried to do, I've gotten to try. You know, I've gotten to go there, and I've worked so hard, but at the same time, you know, I'm so aware of that, you know? And it's the same thing where my dad, my inheritance was this knowledge, was this quest to understand yeah. men's mental health, because quite honestly, I wasn't set up for this kind of trauma. I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't think many of us are, but my operating well, we're system not wired wasn't set up. that way. Right. No, and I, yeah. I love what you're helping us do. I mean, I would say part, well, what I'm grateful for of, of the many things that I love about you. And I'm super grateful, uh, you know, for our connection and to have you in my life is that 
you are helping us build these muscles and rewire ourselves because that's not how we're wired as humans. And it's certainly not what we're taught. You know, like you said, Mm -hmm. the calculus of death. I mean, that, that, those words that you said 20 minutes ago are still ringing in my head. I'm like, wow, we are not taught any of these coping mechanisms. We are not taught, you know, we are not given a grief toolkit Mm -hmm. when we're young. So I, I'm incredibly grateful for the fact that we get to have this conversation and that you being just to the left of death three times is allowing this conversation and your work in the world to come alive. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you. And I'm so grateful that I can accept that 13 mm-hmm. years later without hearing some version of everything happens for a reason. Yeah, it's very right. different. Right. I can really, yeah. and I can really appreciate that. And 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 the truth is, a lot of people are really struggling. Again, I'm so grateful that. I mean, it got dark. You could, you guys can listen to the last podcast. I was very honest about my own suicidal depression. I've I've also been on both sides and just to the left of suicide in both ways. Um, with my own almost attempt and and suicidal depression, and then obviously finding my father. But you know, that's that's part of it is just like, it is, and I know we used this word last time, especially fresh off Baja, but it is a lot of hard work. It is a lot of awareness. It is a lot of fucking up and having a Mm -hmm. safe enough community that I can admit without shame that I fucked up or bring my shame lovingly to the table and say, there's a lot of shame. (laughs) Like, you know, if I don't deal with this shame, I don't think I'm going to be here. But, you know, in all of that, there's also just magic. And I know we Mm. talked about that last time, but there's these moments where it just doesn't make sense how I had a breakthrough when I did, or with me, it's people, it's the people that I've met, you know, the use of the world and just being introed. And it's like, oh, this is for a reason. And and it's funny because I used to say when I, when I would do more connector work and was doing the conscious concierge work, you know, tell me what you want to do with your life. Because if you tell me, Shelly, right now that you want you know, whatever the the best architect in the world, that's all sustainable. I would say like, well, I'll be on a train next week. And that's the way my sixth sense works for you. I will meet somebody will say, Hey, I'm an architect. And, you know, and it wasn't until, you know, I kept deferring that, that my, my purpose Mm -hmm. was to connect other people, you know, to other people. And I was not like letting myself in. And then like over the last year, and as I've been trying to start to write the book, and obviously as Tether grows to a community of 10,000 badass men across the world that I'm a part of, I am not in the hierarchy of, I am a peer of those 10,000, you know, like aside from building the brand, like, you know, there's no hierarchy there and just get to be a part of that. But, but yeah, it's just like actually realizing like, no, like that happens for me too. And it happens for me almost daily where I go, because now I'm trained to go, oh, that's interesting. Where does this go? And then the next person I meet or the next thing that comes up or, you know, and I'm just constantly being taught this lesson over and over again on the micro, micro level. That's why I love the example of you're going to be grieving by 10 a.m. if you try to control your day, but it's the same thing. And we were talking about this offline with my plans for the next week. I just, I'm trying so hard to plan travel, to plan events, to plan where I'll be and when I'll be and prioritize family while getting everything I have to do done. And then every 10 minutes, something new comes up. That's like, oh, well, that changes everything. Uh And I have to admit, I used to, especially as a young adult, 
I used to grieve like a motherfucker when people would change the plan. You don't make me late, you don't change the plan, and you don't let me go hungry. These were like three rules that people knew. Like it was like, and they would excuse my behavior if one of those three things had happened. But mm-hmm. it, it, you know, and it's like, so I kind of got a pass, you know, up until I realized that it didn't serve me at all to be like, I didn't want people to say, oh, that's just Addison. He's an asshole if he hasn't had dinner or, well, your life happened to you and you're clearly grieving something you expected because obviously they planned to be wherever we were going. And, you know, so now he's, he's going to have to like shut you out for a few minutes because you let him down. And it's just like, micro micro version of ghosting and then a micro micro version of like what's happened with my father you know you said you were going to be there this thing you know and it takes 13 years to have that realization obviously but you know people because they didn't know how to necessarily support me or educate me around my grief because especially 10 13 years ago they're just you know, these conversations weren't really happening. I didn't have access to them. I was just kind of, you know, it was like walking around a dark room being like, are you, uh, do you know about the swirl? You know, people are like, do you, do you know about the silence or the swirl? Or yeah. you know, they're like, what the f- are you talking yeah. about, sir? Who are you? You know, <laughs> but when they, when people didn't know how to serve me best, they would make little rules for me because I would have been through and the trauma I had endured and, you know, and it's like, we can call it patience and I'm so grateful for it. And that like, they were accepting of it, but it did get to a point where I had to take a lot of responsibility around it and go, okay, well, I don't want to be 32 and somebody saying, well, that's just Addison when I'm doing something that's not only hurtful, but not even serving myself, you know, it's like, And that's a hard one. That's really hard because still to this day, I'm really good actually with the late thing. Um, The food thing, I would just feed me, you know, like even the gremlins, you know, there's rules. (laughs) But, you know, take responsibility. What I love, what I love that I'm hearing from you. And I mean, this is growth probably from the first time that I met you. You're owning it right? Mm. Let's own, let's own our shit. Mm -hmm. Now that you Mm -hmm. have all of the awareness around this, you're like, Oh, wait a second. That's not Shelly's problem Mm -hmm. or so-and-so's problem or all my best friends. And they just write it off as that's Addison. You're actually owning that. And you're Mm -hmm. asking the question, is it serving me? And if it's not serving me, then what do I want to do about it? And right. or what support do I need? And you and I have talked about this a lot. I am entirely sure we talked about this in the last episode. And I think it's worth talking about for a second here. And we'll mm-hmm. use it as a bridge to get deeper into mental health advocacy mm-hmm. and action and tether and that work that you're doing. But you and I have talked about the power of the question, how can I support you? So Mm -hmm. rather than going to these like polar opposite ends of the spectrum of condolences or casseroles, or maybe both, Mm -hmm. how can I support you? What do you need in this moment? I mean, it, it just, it always gives me the chills because it is so simple and so profound. You could break you. I mean, I have I have literally broken down into tears when somebody's asked me that question because it doesn't mm-hmm. happen often enough, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think right there is that, how can I support you? 
and or what does support look like for you right now? Oh, I love that. You know, what does support look like Being able to like ask someone you? that and allowing them, and I know we use this term because I, I love to use it, but allowing them to be the expert of their experience. And we're all more likely to be supportive, to peer support when we're not worried about having to be an expert about someone else's experience because we're just not, we're never going to be. And that story about how when you were 16 and you actually felt worse than they did and you were fine, probably isn't the one in the toolkit, you know? So not helpful. It, just it, saying no, right yeah, here, not the, helpful. Yeah, no matter how well-intentioned it is, you know, and I, I know we talked about that last time, but, but just asking somebody what support looks like for them right now. And it's so funny. Oh my God, I just got goosebumps, Shelly. Because I'm 10 years later talking about this silence, but I remember so distinctly right now, people asking me, what do you need? And I felt too weird to say it, but I always said, I like, I just wish someone would sit with me. I don't want to talk. I don't want to speak about it, but I just want someone to be here. But it also has to be like somebody who I won't feel weird around or like step into my like hosting or like, you know, like caring for mode. And it was very hard to find that, that specific person, like someone who can, you know, sometimes it's really not talking, but being able to sit in silence with somebody. And this was going to say earlier, like with the death of calculus, I think we would have been better off if we took 15 minutes to be quiet and sit with ourselves during the school, you know, at, at some point in the day, than half of, of that stuff. It's because that's, that's what it is. And then like, you know, getting into partnership and peer support or friendships or relationships, you know, that's the money for me right now. It's like, who will sit in the silence with me and not fall into the trap of trying to fix my swirl? Because I know it's a swirl now, you know, or try to help me run from my shame rather than accept it, flip it into guilt and take action. You know what? Like, that's like, that's where it's at. And like, obviously, please guys go back and listen to the pillars of peer support that, that we touched on. But I think that this is such a good segue for, you know, how we're sitting here on the eve of suicide prevention day. I know it's going to air a little later and we'll still be in suicide prevention month, but you know, I have the same thing where, you know, people coming to me going like, you've dealt with impossible situations or, you know, a lot about suicide. Like, what do we do? What do we do? You know? And, and, and I saw the, you know, the most recent statistics from NAMI right now, as we're doing our pre-seed raise for Tether and just pitching constantly about the problem and how men are affected. And so we're at, you know, I think last time we talked about 75 and now it's 78% of suicides being male. And then our partners at um, Heads Up Guys did this survey during during COVID and they found that 42% of men were, were thinking about suicide, were having suicidal ideations, 42%. And so I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, and it was one of the reasons that I wanted to do this with you, because just like I came on to rebel for what peer support is and isn't last time. Um, and you were such a great example of that with me, both online and offline. There's this, this, this rebel in me that's like, okay, guys, awareness is wonderful. It is amazing. And it is so necessary. And it has brought us to a point where I can even walk into a room full of VCs and fathom pitching about men's mental health technology. You know, we've obviously come so far, but, but awareness without inspired action, like we keep talking mm. about, you know, without that, where are we? 
at this place where these statistics aren't really dropping, you know, and, and this well, is they're the only of- getting worse. Right. And I, and I appreciate, I mean, if we just take a pause, because I was looking back through, I mean, you know, huge mental health advocate. I mm-hmm. was well to the left of surviving my own suicide attempt mm-hmm. many years ago and living with that and being afraid and well, actually more than that, being ashamed mm-hmm. to talk about it for a very long time and now realizing the most powerful thing I can do is talk about it, shine a light on it and help others so that they don't feel so alone and that they're, that, that they're not afraid to ask for help. So this okay. is, while I know that your work and Tether's work is largely focused on men's because you've built this, mm-hmm. I loved hearing you say 10,000, 10,000 thousand men strong in this community who are talking about how they feel and looking for that peer support in that safe container that, I mean, it literally is choking me up Mm -hmm. and it's not limited to men. This is happening to all of us and especially as a result of COVID and this pandemic. I mean, the mental health statistics are off the freaking chart. I think I read this morning, 800,000 people who, um, the World Health Organization, 800,000 people a year die by suicide, which amounts to basically one person. And really, as I say this, like allow yourself trigger warning and all like to take this in. That means one person every 40 seconds is dying by suicide. Every 40 seconds. That's, I mean, in the time that we've been talking even. You know, and that's a lot of people in the time that we've been talking. Yeah. And that's I and that's why I want to make sure this message is very, very clear that when I say I'm rebelling for action, it is on the shoulders of awareness. We all have to keep having this conversation. We all have to be grateful for all the conversations that have had and all the all the awareness that has been spread. But what I'm really pushing people to do right now in this realm is is decide from that awareness what action looks like for you. And honestly, to be part of the innovation, we're first market in here in this this technology of helping men with these mental health problems, right? So this is open right now to what tools do work for you? What can technology do to serve people right now? You know, so it's, it's this idea of, okay, you're aware now, which is great. You know, and it's, you know, I say this thing where it's like, I had this moment where I I kept saying it's okay to not be okay, you know, which is wonderful and so well-intentioned and and really made a huge cultural shift in the world when it came to mental health. But then as everything grows and progresses and we evolve as people, I'm here now a few years later going, is it for how long? Like, because I just kept getting told it's okay but without tools around it or without accessible tools, which is a whole nother, the financial boundary, the cultural boundaries, when we get into all of that, that lead to these suicide rates, but, but accessible, without accessible tools, I'm just aware now that I have a problem that I shouldn't feel ashamed about. But as we talked about in this conversation, shame is something that sometimes takes 13 years to unwire with the privilege of a lot of help and amazing badass co-pilots like you yeah. and everybody else in my life, right? So it's like, it's like, what does action look like? And where do you fall on the side of action? Same as the peer support conversation. Are you looking at suicide in your life? So for me, I'll be the example. You know, I've, I've almost died by suicide. I've done everything I could. Luckily, I had the knowledge and the education that I went thirsty 
equally for in the world after losing my father and finding him. And luckily that experience was so traumatic that the idea of allowing that to happen to somebody else because I couldn't get mm-hmm. help I needed was really such a propeller for me, let alone my own mother, you know, who's, who would have been at that time. But, you know, so so I fall on both sides of suicide in that way. And, and, and then I have to go, okay, so what, what am I going to do? And I have to make a commitment to doing something. What is the tool? Am I going to focus for the next year? Let's turn it into suicide action year. You know, for the next year, what am I going to do to prevent myself? Because in a world where we accept that this can happen to anyone, because it can, that was one of the hardest parts of my grief process. You know, if I had to accept what my dad did, it meant accepting that I could do it too. And that was a known, my brain would not do that. You know, I just, I couldn't. And so, you know, you make this commitment to prevention either for yourself or to really assist others, you know, and then, and then taking that into the next, the next level. I, it's funny that this is coming to me right now, but when I, I used to um, do an arts, um, an arts directing business, basically helping pre-professionals bridge into the professional world, because after I did it myself, I really wanted to be a part of that process because it can be not so well handled, especially when it comes to mental health. But we used to have, our slogan was educate, empower, emerge. And I've kept that with me through everything over the last 10 years, because it's like, educate, learn everything you can about this right now. Learn absolutely everything, what it means, you know, for your community, what it means on a global scale, what, what is going on that's attributing to this suicide rate. And and they're probably underreported because it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very hard to get active numbers for this kind of thing. Um, and this empower. Okay, now bring yourself to that situation. What do I know about this? What can I do about this? Who do I know that you know can help me be involved in this? And what does that look like? And what does it look like from a sustainability point of view? Yeah. You're, you know, don't do what I did. Don't go start a brain tumor charity and then go try and save the men. And you know what I mean? It's like it's like a joke that I always make, but it's like Kennedy mind, not Kennedy money. Like that is not possible, you know, and everyone rolls their eyes when I say, but I I got the curse, but I didn't, um, reframe, um, but still keeping the sense of humor, but yeah, bringing yourself fully to it, empowering to the situation. And that can be uncomfortable, especially when we're talking about suicide, but it's uncomfortable that someone's passing every 40 seconds of this as well. It's uncomfortable that at some point in time that that was my father or that that would have been me or that would have been you and we wouldn't have so bad and we wouldn't have tether and we would like it's just it's wild when you think about what we're giving up every 40 seconds pause on that for a minute like really it is we are losing that person's gift that person's reason for being on this planet mm-hmm. that in that moment they can't see Mm-hmm. They can't see. They've lost the connection to. I lost the connection to. You lost the connection to. However fleeting that might have been, for me, it was enough to take a whole lot of drugs and land in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it's worth saying. So what what does this look like? So when you're talking about you know, and let's talk about this on a very micro level because we Mm -hmm. all know somebody in our lives who is struggling right now, 
whose mental health, whether it's burnout that becomes depression, whether it's depression and anxiety, whether it's like, I just, I mean, literally it could be the pandemic has knocked me so far down. I don't know what way is up anymore. What are some of those action steps where we can be there for ourselves Mm -hmm. and for the people that we love? I think, you know, like I said, once you've made that commitment, um, you know, that's where, that's where you're going to be able to start to come up with that. I've become a very big advocate, which is action-based. You'll see what I did here, but for, (laughs) um, daily emotional fitness, I think it's just so important. So uh, like at Tether, which is an app, which I'm sure people will know from the show notes that we've built. And of course, we're not only talking about men today, um, but, um, you know, one of the tools that we've been very passionate about building is this emotional fitness tool. And basically what it allows guys to do much like the fitness apps for physical fitness is track how they are doing on a daily basis, make notes for themselves that are also private. So yes, there's this component of tether that allows guys to share publicly or as publicly as they wish, which helps with connection and defeating stigma and not feeling isolated. However, there is this also separate need to really be aware and check in with ourselves on a daily basis of how we're truly feeling. And we all know that that's not always something that we want to tweet or share or, you know, even within the confines of a safe space. I'm not always, even as a professional, as someone that people still have to hire as, you know, I'm not always comfortable with how I'm feeling emotionally being on a public forum at any time, you know, that's, and that's just fair. And I'm not always even with someone, even someone I know intimately in a position to fully check in. So this idea of, of beginning to track your emotional fitness on a day. And the reason like the fitness comes in is, is it's you start to see, you know, just like physical fitness, that just the act of checking in, that just you see the progression. And I've had this experience myself. So I'm just going to talk as we do about Tether from my own experience. But the few times in my life that I've visited a doctor to figure out whether or not I was just grieving or depressed or grieving and depressed, or suicidal or not suicidal, there was about, you know, I'm going to be honest, a 30 to 48 minute window at a high price to figure that out. And, um, you know, usually the idea of medication would soon follow that conversation. But Mm. so of course, when I'm there for 30 minutes, I'm going to talk about the times that I felt the lowest of the low in the last 30 to 60 days. And that's going to be what I focus on, which as we know, will expand. And that's what I'm going to bring forward as my, I need help out of true, honest, wanting help. But what's crazy is that since I've started to use the emotional fitness tracker, I still have that tendency to go, I feel like I feel bad more than I feel good. Or I remember the days where I felt poorly or where my emotions were deconstructed. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we won't go down the life coaching part of how we judge the emotions, but you know, just noticing them you know, I start to go, whoa, like I'm doing way better than I thought. Like I'm content three or four days out of the week. And even on days that I would have just clarified as good or bad in the past, I'm actually realizing like, I'm, well, I was anxious and there's notes there. I've tagged, you know, self-help and, you know, health and family. And then I've made a note of what happened that day. And rather than it being like, something's just wrong with me, it's like, well, no, this is actually how I was feeling. And that's a 
very honorable reason to be feeling anxious. That's a lot. And so rather than like then taking, you know, because our, our mental health professionals, which I fully, you know, we need in the landscape, but they don't have time for all of us. They don't have time for a 24 seven world. And we're living in a 24 seven world. As much as I preach that sleep is so important. We are, I mean, I run a nap, so, you know, we know that it's a 24 seven world, but so to empower yourself with that type of knowledge, and this is for yourself, you know, so there's the two parts of tether, which, which is great because it's, it's the idea of how can I support? And there's ways to do that. And I think our last conversation really covers that if you're looking for to actively support others, but then also looking for tools and starting to define your tool belt, like we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation. So tracking, for instance, is one thing tracking, um, gratitude on a consistent basis. These are things that are tools that are actionable that I do, that I have found steer me away from the moment that I found myself in before when I was suicidal, you know, and that's, that's, what's got me excited right now. I have to say it's so weird. Yes. I'm excited about finding solutions to suicide and mental health problems, but I am because it's like, whoa, we haven't really been giving people tools. And I think that came from a, it comes from a lot of fear because what if we don't save them? What if it's not a solution? What if, you know, and it's just at a place where from such a well-intentioned place and from, you know, like I said, 10,000 guys now on Tether, we spend so much time talking to our guys. Matt alone has spent thousands of hours, over 375 interviews with men that, you know, that, that are in our community and and we're just constantly going, okay, what's the barrier here? What would help? What does a tool look like? What's a tool that looks like that helps you be instead of do what's a tool look like that helps you be aware. And, you know, if you're willing to share your emotional tracker with your doctor that a month from now, you could go with a very good idea of what your daily mental health looks like, you know, and you could make decisions based on that. You could make investments based on that you know so it's like I said that the retreat might not fix everything but if I was emotionally tracking when we went to Baja last year and very intentionally surrounded myself by modern elders and mentors and in a safe space that luckily fed me on a schedule um you know you know if I looked at that you know I I definitely would see leading into it and leading out of it what it did for me. And then I can make a bigger decision about the priority of that type of thing within my life. And of course, you know, we have the group programming with the pods and all of this leads to, I think, accountability being such a big tool for us, you know, the, the willingness to experience pro social shame to come Mm -hmm. with whatever you've got and be accountable to it and finding what is the tool for you. I, I don't need to sell tether. I know I see, I get to facilitate every week. I see how it works for people. But it's like I said, my silence tool looks different than yours. My calming tool looks different than yours. My So find your tool. And, and I, you know, my co-founders might be like, shut up, don't call for innovators to rise. But I'm like, yes, rise. Like yes. who can come forward with the tools that can really help this problem? Because there's not competition when it comes to someone not dying every 40 seconds. There's no. just not. That's not why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, like it's, it's, you know, so God, it's just, no. And I, 
I love, and I think there's, there is power in numbers and in all of us to coming together and collaborating as advocates to be not only having these conversations, but taking action and putting tools in people's hands and creating the safe spaces like you are Mm -hmm. at Tether. And what I love about what you're saying is there is the self piece and then there's the the other slash group piece, right? And the self piece, it goes back to what you were saying. I keep thinking about this, like, why aren't we taught when we're young and we're in school to simply sit still and slow down and get mm-hmm. silent and check in? And so you're giving us like that simple tool of a daily emotional fitness check-in Mm-hmm. is helping us to slow down and listen to ourselves. And I mean, I love you guys do this on Clubhouse. When I'm able to join your Clubhouse, you do the emotional, mental, and physical check-ins. We all slow down long enough to go, yeah, how am I feeling? Right. Mm -hmm. And only when we're able to do that and sometimes say it out loud, sometimes share it, can we actually say to ourselves and possibly others, what kind of support do I need in this moment? Or what does support Mm -hmm. look like for me in this moment? And allow ourselves to then maybe steer the ship in a different way, or maybe call a friend and say, I just need you to sit with me like you did. Don't Mm -hmm. say anything. Yes. Maybe just put your arm around me. Just just be there and hold space. How do we even know what to ask for for not checking in with ourselves? Mm-hmm. That's what's so powerful about what you said. It is simple. And yet in this busy culture that we live in, that's not celebrated. Right. And and the wellness, you know, here's another rebel coming up from inside me, but you know, the well, let's call it the wellness industry wants you to buy a fix to yeah. that. And I think what we've landed in, you know, with what you're doing with Sobatical and what I'm doing at Tether is, and how I love Chris Gavigan, who is the CEO of the Prima company talks about this, but the difference between wellness and well-being and what are you really working towards? And I think, you know, we're talking about well-being, not well-doing and well-fixing. We're talking about well-being here. And, you know, it all comes full circle with that, the honoring of the journey piece, but it's 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 being able to celebrate when something doesn't fix you. You know, when you meditate and it's not going well, that is when you celebrate. You don't meditate. And it's like one of those magical days where you went away and it was like movie meditation. And, you know, because it's like, well, then it's not working. And it's like, no, it's with all the discomfort. It's with the thoughts that we all have. There is no level of business acumen screenwriting, book writing that I'm going to get to where I just always sit for 15 minutes and float, you know, it's, and it's so hard to do, but it's like, okay, well, what didn't work about yoga today? What was uncomfortable about doing an emotional inventory check? You know, what was uncomfortable about having to do it in one word and not being allowed to put story around it? You know, looking at those things and, and that's what we really, really, and like have to celebrate. And that's like, you know, full circle for me, whenever I'm advocating or, or just showing up, whatever it is, it, you know, hopefully that it connects with somebody. I think celebrating is such an important part of the grief journey. It's such an important part of the mental health journey. And it's just such an important part of the, that we're alive. Mm. You know, it's just, that is what it's about. And you can celebrate 
things that felt negative in the moment. You can celebrate that. You continue to meditate even though it felt that way. That even though you felt so uncomfortable, you got through therapy, that you went to the men's group, that you joined pods and hated it for seven weeks. And then on the eighth week, it changed your life, you know, which is like, you know, things that we hear and they will tell us like, I hated this, you know, and it's, it's always on the other side of that discomfort, which has become cliche, but we know why cliches are cliches. And it's one that I fight for to keep because on the other side of that discomfort is freedom. Like it's just, it's there. And then more discomfort because you're not getting fixed. You're, well, not, getting you're not getting fixed. You're on the journey and yes. you're probably going to have new levels of discomfort, right? right. Where mm-hmm. you and I both were when we both met last, when we met last November versus where we are right here in September, having this really po- profound conversation versus where we're going to be mm-hmm. in two months back in Baja in November. We're constantly hitting those kind of, we're on those new plateaus. Mm-hmm. of this journey if we continue to lean into the discomfort if we continue to have these conversations and really do the work that we're being called to do mm-hmm. and if we're surrounding ourselves like you guys do at tether like we do with our posse you're surrounding yourself with people who inspire and challenge you and support you and hold you accountable you're going to get there too you're never going to be the same person from day to day. That's mm-hmm. who we get to become on this journey. Yep. I couldn't have said it better myself, truly. No. And it's, and as you're saying that, you know, I'm glowing, you know, cause it's just like, thank God, because if I had to go yeah. back to being who I was before being just mm-hmm. to the left of death, if I had to come back from COVID instead of come through, you know, if any of those things, you know, what a weight, what a weight. But if, if you're willing to stick with me through evolution and celebration and grief and, you know, that something I'm wildly comfortable with and grateful for today, I might not be tomorrow because that's the human experience. If, If you and the greater community, you know, if we're willing to stick with each other through that and just acknowledge that something that has been so isolating for so many years, this idea of my grief process, my mental health can now be a community involved Mm. thing. I mean, that's, that's wild. And that's, that is where breaking down stigma and awareness has gotten us. But now it's time for badass action. I love it. Badass action for ourselves and together. And that's what I love. I want to call this whole community to supporting each other. Uh, You know, let's have these conversations out loud, shine a light on it. And let's start practicing the micro actions that you shared with us today, you know, in our own lives and within this Rebel Souls community. And let's hold each other's, you know, feet to the fire, so to speak. And let's support each other with what we need in the moment. And we only can ever know that if we're checking in with ourselves and then we're willing to share where we are and Mm -hmm. what we need from each other so that nobody goes down thinking that asking for help is a weakness and nobody loses that light, you know, forgetting that they were put on this earth for a reason. 
And yeah, I want to see those stats change and reverse and start declining for all of humankind. Mm -hmm. And I love what you guys are doing at Tether. I'm a huge supporter. I'm a huge fan. Um, I know you and I will forever be waving the mental health awareness and action flag together Mm -hmm. and supporting each other. And more than anything, and I think this is worth saying in closing, is that I'm I'm so grateful to be in the arena with you. I mean, you know, the obviously from uh Roosevelt's speech and then Brene Brown kind of made it all famous again, but I love that you're in the arena. You are walking the walk, you are practicing this out loud, you are building these muscles along your 13 year plus journey and sharing with us what we can do. You're living it. You're not up here in some ivory tower, you know, preaching academically what this looks like. You're in it. And you're sharing with us what it means and what it looks like to be in it. And I'm grateful because I'm in it too, brother. Mm, I appreciate that so much. And I think it goes without saying that, you know, I also always want to be socially responsible and saying, I'm not a doctor. I'm not Mm. exactly like what you just said. I'm a peer meeting another peer, having a very important conversation today. And, um, you know, none of what I said and maybe all of what I said may be helpful to somebody, you know, but that's, that's something I'm willing to do and I'm going to continue to do um, and stepping away from sort of the fear around whether or not I'm equipped to talk about something that, you know, I found myself just left up uh, one time too many. So I appreciate the safe space. And um, always, I mean, this will be an ongoing dialogue and I will always be in your camp, supporting your work, supporting Tether's work. And I know our work's going to keep intersecting. So, so now that my community has fallen in love with you for a second time, (laughs) how can they, how and where can they find you and follow you and find Tether for those men in this community who want to jump in? Absolutely. Um, and Tether does, just so you guys know that are listening, Tether shows up in multiple ways that's available to everybody, regardless of, of how um, you identify. But Tether itself is uh, Tether, T-E-T-H-R. Our socials are Tether for Men. Um, and then Tether.men is the website there. Um, I'm easy. I'm AddisonBrazil.com. Um, as you know, we're, we're cooking a book uh, and that will come um, shortly as it's meant to um, both find the world and, and find itself, I think. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, I'm Addison Brazil myself on Instagram and I'll be, I'll be sharing as much of this as possible because it's such a rare and beautiful experience to get to dive in like this. You're our chief grief officer, aren't you? Is that what you're calling yourself <laughs> these days? You know what? I, it's <laughs> funny. I I've been fighting with this and it was almost a book title too, but I've, I'm playing with commander and grief. Like I'm who I am and my grief fully exists and I accept it. There's a commander and grief instead of and chief. Um, I, I don't know. I'm playing with it. Um, but yes, for, for today's purposes, um, I yeah, chief resilience officer. I'd love to. Um, but I, as I said on Mandy's podcast, if, if I've got to be the grief guy, um, happy to do it. Happy to do it if yeah. it helps anybody else along in that that dark room. I don't want people going around asking people about the swirl anymore. 
Let's I know exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. You're a grief Sherpa. Can we just call you the grief Sherpa? Like you're helping us at these high altitudes that we are just we'll, we'll not used to. We'll have two weeks in Baja to just like, you know, throw titles back and forth. I love it. I love it. Any way that I can help. Oh my God. This has been amazing. Thank you for coming back again. It's so meaningful that it's happening in this moment where we can continue to shine a white hot spotlight on suicide prevention, on mental health awareness. I love the distinction you made around well-being versus well-doing and well-fixing. Like, Let's stay on that path. I mean, Rebel Souls, we are all about well-being. And I think Addison gave us a lot lot of really powerful recommendations to do that. So Addie, thank you. I love you. You're an amazing soul brother and rebel souls. Thank you for tuning in. This was so good. And until next week, stay bold, brave, and badass. Ciao. Hey rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. So our fellow rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at sylbatical.com and follow me at sylbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?